Yeah, I'm Tyler Craig, and I'm the founder of Independent Pharmacy Hemp Oil, and I'm on the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. My biggest pet peeve in the CBD, which I hate even using this word CBD, but hemp oil industry, is just the lack of education and all the misnomers that are flying around and even just the terminology being used incorrectly. And you can find it in just about every CBD company out there. Calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth. Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in the world, Woodstock, New York. It's me, Dr. Neil, with a podcast that pulls back the curtain on the natural products industry. There's a lot going on these days. Stock market's tanking. There's a pandemic that's swirling. A lot of people are nervous. A lot of people are upset. I still think that we're in the don't eat your neighbor phase. We're just in the you know, don't cough directly in somebody's eyes stage of this whole thing. If you want lots of really great information about coronavirus that has a level head, I would visit woodstockvitamins.com slash coronavirus. I know you probably read a million blog articles, and yes, you know how to wash your hands now appropriately after, you know, 60 years of life on Earth. But there's some important stuff that I put in there about community, about helping high-risk people, about staying the frig home. I think it's time. I think everybody needs to just relax stay at the house, cancel your trips. I heard though that if you applied, you can play in the NBA. That's new, right? Because all the players are going to be out. They're suspending the whole season. So if you want to be in the NBA, now's your time. Today's episode is another topic that we don't talk about very frequently on the podcast, CBD. (laughs) I figure we could do one big CBD conversation here today with a gent that I met at our conference where we were promoting supplement school. Tyler Craig is an entrepreneur and a brainiac. I give Tyler my stamp of approval. He cares about quality, probably the same if not a little bit more than I do. And that says a lot because I'm a pretty big nut about quality. So Tyler Craig is the co-founder of Independent Pharmacy Hemp Oil and Craig Consulting. He Basically, he works in an independent pharmacy, and he manages sterile compounding and non-sterile compounding, which is where pharmacists make the medicines from scratch, and there's a lot of regulations, and there's a lot of quality control that's involved. So when this whole CBD craze started, he started asking questions just like I did and realized that the whole industry sucks, and he decided that he's going to do it better. So he and his partners got together and they created this little business. And what I wanted to have is like one definitive conversation with somebody about the whole process, starting at the beginning, starting at the seeds, going all the way through to the bottle and really kind of uncovering all the different opportunities that a company has to be jerks, to cut corners, to give you a poor quality product. So we kind of walk you through that whole entire journey. Uh, So I'm not going to do much else here today besides set up the conversation, maybe wrap it up at the end because the conversation went a little long because I wanted to make sure that we touched on everything. And I think uh, this is probably one of the most comprehensive things that I've heard from a quality standpoint on CBD for consumers. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, the nerdy conversation, I should say. Enjoy. All right, Tyler. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through the journey of hemp production and CBD product production, but I want to take it back, way back, not like the 80s music and stuff like that. I want to, I want to take it back to where we start, which is the seed. I want to go from every stage from the seed to the bottle, and I want to talk about what goes on, what people should know, and what people should look for. And yeah, I guess like what ways can a company screw us at each stage? <laughs> All right. So, um, so let's start with seeds. One of the things that I think is the biggest uh, lie right now is there's some CBD companies that are uh, posturing that they have strains. They're using specific strains of, of hemp to produce their specific products. Uh, does that happen right now? Do people get unique strains like they do with weed? Yeah, so currently in the hemp industry, there are some different strains out there and there's more being developed. Um, The problem with the word strain is anybody can create a strain and anybody can label a seed whatever strain they want. There's no regulation or efficacy behind it. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. really just the wild, wild west and it always has been in the medical marijuana industry and it's going to continue through the hemp industry without any any doubt in my mind. Right, so it's like 
mattresses. They're all the same mattress, but like Serta calls theirs whatever, and then like whatever other Sealy they call theirs the, uh, the a different name, but it's the same stupid mattress at the end of the day, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, one of the big things, even going before the seed, is the genetics. Where does the seed origin from? And mm-hmm. That's what we've actually traced down. And also with hemp and marijuana, you have things called phenotypes. So mm-hmm. even though a brother and a sister, or sometimes it's like the great grandmother of the plant, so we have S four genetics, which means mm-hmm. that they've been rebred to the offspring back to the original mother to breed out certain genetic disabilities, different types that they're chasing. That's how we get the plants to where they have less than 0.3% THC. But we've even been doing that with marijuana in the marijuana industry with THC. So people have been chasing high octane strains of THC for a long time. So going back to the genetics, the genetics are what's important. It's not really the strain name. The strain names kind of get you in the same uh, country, but then you need to find the state, then you need to find the city, then you need to find the house number. So the house number is really like the phenotype. So mm-hmm. once we've identified like the style of plant we want to grow, what we're chasing after, and then it's finding that unique plant, like that one in a million. And then that's where cloning really comes into a big factor. I mean, everybody can plant seeds. Seeds are great. They work for large large fields. But if you're trying to have high quality, high end output plants that are consistent time and time again, um, the best way to do it is the same way that, you know, the, the horticulturist in the marijuana se- sector do that they take clones from the plant. Yeah. So having that great phenotype allows you to have the mother plant, which allows you to then create more mother plants and then have all the clones that you need um, from that. As long as you're continuing the same genetic line, same, same mother for all the plants downstream. Why do I feel like though, that you're the only guy that's thinking about this. Like, why do I feel like most people that are getting into the CBD space are just like grabbing random seeds and just planting garbage? Is that, is that like a normal feeling to have or? hundred percent out of 385 <laughs> farmers in the state of Pennsylvania alone. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the thing. They, they all planted seeds. They had no end distribution. They had no outlets. They, they just were like, I'm going to grow this. I'm going to make a lot of money. So there's yeah. that huge gold rush factor that's going into this where everyone's kind of just running for the, uh, the green and not the green in the hemp, but the green in the money side. Yeah. Um, they should be focused more on what they're growing, why they're growing it and who they're growing it for. Um, and people even like, when they buy seeds nowadays, because I even help in that industry a little bit as well with my consulting, mm-hmm. but uh, they they just want the highest CBD strain out there. And, and guys, from a, a supplement side or a dietary side or even an uh, ECS side, endocannabinoid system side, we don't want just CBD. We want the whole gamut. We want all of the cannabinoids. Yeah. Um, and we're not seeing that because the guys that want to make money only are getting paid based on percentage of CBD in the plant, not the other miners. Right. So when we talk about what makes a strain a strain, it's the combination of the cannabinoids, CBD being one of them, and the terpenes and all of that other stuff. So what you're saying is, and what I'm hearing is, is that most people that are doing CBD are just finding whatever generic strains that are either cheapest and or producing high yield CBD, but CBD only. Okay. That's correct. So that's one way that they could screw us, right? So they're going to they're gonna just find cheapo strains. They're not going to put much thought into the, the whole picture here. Now, will, yeah. those, will those products yield decent amounts of cannabinoids? Um, typically not. So whenever you push CBD, you also push THC. So that's the other factor for the farmer that they start to, uh, now that USDA put out their new, new regulations this year, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of crops get burned. Yeah, you think so? Oh yeah. So what are these new regulations? What do you mean? And why would they be burning crops? Yeah. So they're going to start burning books soon at the federal level, but I didn't know anything about burning CBD crops. Yeah. So uh, if your if your crop tests above 0.3, certain states have mandated that you burn them or that they have a licensed government entity burn them for you on the spot. Right. Whereas other states have kind of been liberal and let you destroy your own crop at your own, own yeah, destroy, will. Destroy, quote unquote. I feel like burning the crops, I would want to like hot box it or Dutch oven it, you know, put a sheet over your head and then burn it, you know, and breathe right. deep. <laughs> yeah. Just, we're going to burn it over the next year. <laughs> yeah, we're going to burn it slowly. But we'll burn all of it. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of the big thing. But you know, the states run these programs themselves and some states have pilot programs. So it's really difficult right now from like a biomass perspective, which we're talking, you know, after we harvest the material from the plant, biomass contains, you know, the colas, the buds, the sugar leaves, the actual fan leaves, basically everything but the stem and the roots uh, is being used as biomass. 
So that's where we're seeing the big hurt in that side of the industry. And that's going to kind of help determine what kind of profiles you have in your next level of material as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got the seed, we got it planted. We're now we're getting ripped off because most people aren't thinking about the seed. And then we have to go through this process of then extracting. Well, we grow the plant. So let's, let's, I guess, stay there. So we're growing the plant. What kind of growth stuff can go on with the plants? And let's talk about the hyper accumulator status and all of that fun stuff with, with CBD. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's a great point right off the bat. Uh, anything that's contaminated in the soil is going to be in that plant. Um, there's no doubt about it. If it exists in the soil, you will see it in the plant. Um, mm-hmm. You may even see higher levels in the plant than you did in the soil. Wow. So what kinds of things show up? I mean, I know I, I'm just like, you know, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm trying to help out my audience here. So what kinds of things can uh, be found in the soil that we have to be concerned with? And then the farming stuff too, like what stuff goes on the plants to keep them healthy, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way is to go all natural. Um, the, you know, USDA is coming out with, with right now, there's nothing that can go on the plant that that's really uh, suitable. Um, USDA is working on kind of trying to find some approved methods. Um, but right now you just kind of sit back and hope for the best uh, for the most part on the farming side. There's some things you can do, but the big thing is, you know, Roundup, like weed killers. A lot of these guys are using it to keep uh, the weeds down while they're working on the crops and, you know, maintaining them. Um, But Mm -hmm. then we're also seeing heavy metals and pesticides, you know, that can come from the water sources that can come from, you know, downstream things, whether there's, you know, they're pumping water out of a stream or a river, but then upriver, there's a chemical plant that's dumping stuff into the, you're going to see it in your crop. So it's really mm. important that you continue to do not only water testing, but also look what runs, you know, downhill or downstream of you, because there's a good chance that that's going to end up in your, your product as well. Got it. So there's another concern that probably a lot of people aren't thinking about is that the water supply that they're using on the plants could be a source of contamination as well. So you're saying that, you know, because pesticides and herbicides are what's beaten into everybody's head. That's what you should be checking for. The heavy metals, which are, you know, arsenic, cadmium, lead, mercury, those are the more common ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the ones that are tested for. Um, but you're saying like the pesticide herbicide, like they're not putting that on the plants except for the Roundup maybe for the, the weeds? Well, you can't even use Roundup. So that, that's, you know, even if they used it the year before, if they sprayed Roundup around the edges of the field or anything else because they were growing corn or soybean, mm-hmm. which that's common practice, mm-hmm. um, just to keep the weeds down because they don't have time to mow it and everything else. Um, the next year that they go to plant hemp, it'll show up in the hemp profile. Got it. So you're not allowed to... So, so the law says that you're not allowed to be putting any of this stuff on your plants. There's, there's no law saying that mm-hmm. you can't. We just know from, from uh, experiences and seeing other people's crop come back with it and then they wonder what happened. Now, you know, we, we focused on just keeping our, our soils clean. So we put cover crops and we do all kinds of other stuff. Like we, we've actually already started preparing our fields back in October of last year for this year. So we started planting crop then just to get ready for this year. All right. So walk me through this process. So you're planting crops. So you're putting in the CBD, but you're talking about cover crop and you're talking about all this other stuff. So, you know, I really want people to understand this whole process so they can make better decisions. So what's going on there? Tell me, tell me what's going on. Are you, are you spraying pesticides on your plant? That's what I want to know. No, no, we don't, we don't (laughs) spray your plants. How about not you? How about everybody else? Is everybody else spraying pesticides on their crap? If they do, it should show up in a CVA at the biomass level. Mm-hmm. or even end product level. Cause whenever you get down to the concentrate, you're obviously concentrating what was ever in the plant. Mm-hmm. And that includes all the pesticides, heavy metals and everything else. Um, so most of the farmers are not doing this. However, new farmers may have an issue with contamination um, or even potentially second year farmers, but w- we tend not to see that too, too frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what we do is actually kind of unique. Um, not a lot of people are using a, a you know, cover crop to, to keep it. A lot of these guys are just planting rows they're mowing them or they're planting them in uh, basically giant potters. And then they fill the potters, plant the plant in the potter, and then they harvest from the, the pots basically. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of different farming styles and that's what's kept this industry unique. There's not like one right nor wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. There's some that are more efficient. There's some that work better for your environment. It just depends on where you are and what you're doing. And that kind of goes back to strains. You know, mm-hmm. If you're in a real humid environment, a real thin straggly plant's going to be your best option. Um, mm-hmm. whereas if you're in a low humidity level, you know, a thicker, bushier plant, like a T1 Trump, um, 
would be a, a more suited plant because it's real thick and dense. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the reason we're worried about that is because we have natural molds and things like will grow on the underside of the hemp plant. So down in the, the lower section of the plant. And that's why when you see like indoor marijuana grows, they basically anything for the first 16 inches of that plant mm-hmm. is just stripped. It's just stalk and stems. Got and it. That's the reason why they do it is just to preserve the, the plant. And the only thing they focus on at that point then is the canopy because anytime you have nutrients in your soil and you have all that undergrowth that's really not doing anything and providing any valuable um, resource to the plant it's just sucking nutrients that it doesn't need and it's putting energy into that lower level when it's really not going to produce anything for you so just to remove it big outdoor grows like what we're talking about with cbd crops and things like that unless you're in the smokable flower sector um, Mm -hmm. it's really not necessary we're really going for that biomass so every leaf is essentially accumulated to that biomass level Mm -hmm. can be used downstream into our CBD products or our hemp oil products. But then you have to be concerned with molds and those kinds of things. So that's what you're testing for you as well, it. right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Got it. So this potting, potted plant thing, that sounds very interesting. So, you know, because again, most people, when they're consuming this stuff, they've learned the key words to ask a retailer. They're saying, is it grown organically? Now, can you weigh in on organic farming and CBD? Is it a real thing? Does it matter? You know, what's... What really matters when you're farming? So that's kind of an interesting talking point. We've gotten into that discussion a couple of times. Um, it's kind of a an interesting place right now. So USDA just released this year a certified uh, organic hemp, but your fields have to be prepped for three years prior. It can't have any pesticides, herbicides, or anything sprayed on it. Basically, that's not natural. So organic farming is great for small scale, but to do really large scale hemp fields, it's quite the challenge. I mean, we're talking about getting nutrients to your plants by mixing teas. So we're talking about giant vessels with an irrigation drip system and it can be done. Um, it's just not the most effective way, um, with what we have around. And at the end of the day, um, once we talk about organic, then you're talking about all the downstream processes. So was the Mm -hmm. extraction organic was, you know, the material that it was mixed with organic. So did, did it maintain the organic efficacy from, field to finish product. And that's challenging because a lot of companies buy their hemp from the farmer or from an, a broker really at this t- stage in the industry. Um, and then they process it. And then these CBD companies buy from the distillation units. Um, so it just depends on what that vertical integration looks like for each company. Uh, whereas we control 100% of it. We, we don't want any outside uh, influence into our products. So we, we've taken initiative to that. And there, there are some other companies who, who, uh, just actually have their product white labeled manufactured for, for their, their company as a, as a bigger scale. Um, so there's quite a few of them out there. Yeah. So they're buying stuff and they're not even vetting where the raw material is coming from is essentially what you're saying. And so they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Sometimes they're buying final product and they're not even vetting where that comes from. And it's interesting enough, you know, there's, there's um, hundreds of companies that come from one space in Kentucky and uh, they just filed for bankruptcy. So it's kind of an interesting little clause. Yeah, why do you think they filed for bankruptcy? Yeah, so their problem was they grew too much hemp this year, um, mm-hmm. thinking that the market was still going to be stable. Um, yeah. But everybody grew hemp this year because they were trying to make you know, what they could off of it because it was the big gold rush. Yeah. Um, so a lot of guys got burnt. A lot of farmers got burnt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that I realized once I had the dispensary owner on the podcast here was that as soon as this starts to get more scale, of course, the costs are going to go down because there's going to be so many more options out there for people to consume, right? So in New York, we had 10 farmers and I think it went to like 400 farmers. So of course, the price of these things are going to go down. You're not going to be getting $500 a plant, right? That's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So We've got a seed. We're talking about the strains, the farming methods. The there's a lot of uh, stuff to unpack there. So essentially, we are looking for people that are taking responsibility for the entire supply chain. People that are uh, growing their own stuff using clean methods, not not necessarily organic. You know, you don't really need to yeah. do that. No, I, I wouldn't say so. It, just from you know my personal experience with the organic industry it's kind of just a label at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, there are practices. It it is influenced, but um, does it really affect you in the CBD world as much as if you ate a tomato? 
mm-hmm. not really because you're eating tomato, you know, straight off the vine. It's been cleaned and things like that. But mm-hmm. CBD, it's going through multiple processes post harvest. And some of that includes like drying, um, depending on where it's at. Sometimes it's hung in a barn and barn dried. So you got dust and grain and everything else that's flowing around in there. So it's not like it's, you know, cut down and then brought into the super sterile environment and then, you know, maintained its uh, humidity and things like that in that environment. Yeah, I think we've done rants on the organic industry and organic just means the legal amount of pesticides and herbicides, not necessarily no pesticides and herbicides. So you'd rather just make sure that your product is being tested for pesticides and herbicides and is uh, conscious of the whole supply chain versus like slapping that label on it. You know, you got it. Yep. Um, All right. So seed grow. Now we got to harvest. Harvest is a big challenge. Walk uh, walk me through the challenge then. Yeah. So we're talking about, this is a very labor intensive crop from start Mm -hmm. to finish. There's not like a, you just plant it, throw it out there and then you just kind of sit back and kick back for a payday. I mean, we're talking about going around cutting it. We don't bail this stuff. There's not really any machinery out there. Guys that have used machinery or currently using machinery are kind of creating it themselves. We're starting to see stuff come out now. Um, and even then it's not the most effective, like a combine for corn, you just run it through the field a one man operation minus the truck that you're dumping it into. For hemp, we're talking about a combine. We got a guy driving it. We got three guys cutting it down and two guys throwing the stalks into the front of the combine. Mm -hmm. You can't even just mow it down like corn. You actually have to have guys on the ground throwing it in. So that's like the most unique method right now. I wouldn't even say it's the most efficient. Uh, we actually use a, a single nose corn picker um, and just clip the bottom of the, the stock and it gets dumped into a hay wagon okay. um, and then brought back to where we ha- actually have a bucking machine and some some hemp dryers and things like that. What is a bucking but, machine? Yeah, a bucking machine kind of just takes the stock and rips all the plant material off of it. Got um, it. It's just, uh, it's kind of, it looks like a pencil sharpener on the front with <laughs> a, a, a grabber behind it. Essentially, there are two wheels that rotate against it and yep. then it just pulls it through the the hole and rips all the material off and then it lands on a conveyor belt and goes on is does it have a big sign out to keep your genitalia away from this like do you have to do that i don't know yeah, if that's I a mean, safety issue yet no i i don't know that anyone's tried but uh <laughs> well i would put the sign there just in case so you're going to harvest this stuff so now you have a big pile of what you're calling biomass that's what it's referred to as yeah biomass so a lot of guys do also cut this stuff down leave it in the field and then try to bring it in over time because we want to cut it down within about a one to two week window Uh, if we don't our thc level uh, continues to creep up our Mm -hmm. cbd production does nothing um so at that point we're we're really just hurting ourselves and then when we have to get it tested again we we may test uh hot and then we lose our crop anyway um so then the other side of that is if you leave it in the field, then you also have the challenge of, of mold and mildew and other things. Rodents, so, right? Yep, rodents as well. Um, yep, even insects, mites, chairs, things like that. Um, hmm. So we want to get that off the, the ground as quickly as possible. Other, other farming practices haven't been as efficient, um, hmm. nor do they have the resources. I've, we've seen that too, where these guys, they grew 10 acres, but they didn't realize how much labor it was. Got it. And so there's just stuff laying around in the field and you don't even know that that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah uh, so then we, now we're going we've got the big, big pile of biomass. So tell me what happens to biomass after we have uh, our de-stalked CBD plants. Yeah. So there's two styles of harvesting. So once you get the crop off the field or, or you get it to where you're going to bucket, you can bucket dry or you can bucket wet. We see a lot of guys just hang it in barns, kind of like tobacco, very similar and let it dry and cure that way. Most of them, Overdry it for smokable flour, but it's good for extraction. So the extraction, we go to talk about that phase. We want the biomass to be between 10 and 12%. When you're talking about a smokable flour or smokable product, it's typically between 56 and 60% humidity because you Got still it. need that moisture content because as soon as you start drying it out very far, and this is where extraction gets tricky with terpenes, we still have terpene presence, but it's not as predominant as you would a smokable product because when those trichomes, which are the little mushroom shaped milky white crystals that you guys see on the plant if you've ever looked at ones closely i've looked Um, at marijuana pictures before i've never smoked this stuff myself i swear yeah exactly so those are called trichomes and the trichomes uh form and and terpenes develop in there and everything else but the plant also contains terpenes um but when you start drying them out the terpene um content goes down significantly it loses its 
in the marijuana industry is called the nose, kind of like wine. It loses its nose. It, it loses its smell. And when it loses its smell, it's losing its terpene uh, profile as well. Mm-hmm. So when we're hang- like barn drying it, we're actually losing some of that terpene profile because we're bringing that that uh, humidity level down so low. So there's there's two methods to bucking. There's wet bucking and then there's dry bucking. What we described in our, our version where we pull it off the field right away, cut it, pull it off the field in wagons and then buck it, that would be a, a wet bucking. Whereas mm-hmm. the guys that hang it in their barn, you're going to let the crop dry first and then they're going to buck it. Okay. Um, we also see a lot of bursitis and mold and mildew form in barns because of that. Um, yeah. If you ever walked through a barn, you typically can find any kind of mold you want. Right. Um, well, so then why are guys choosing to do that? Why are they doing this barn drying method? Lack of necessity. So in our case, we have a, what's called a hemp dryer and uh, it's a 80 foot by 20 foot basically square box with a conveyor belt inside of it. And we load all the wet biomass onto it and mm-hmm. it gets pulled through the, the hemp dryer and it, it basically drops the humidity it, it input humidities, you know, 80% plus sometimes, and then outputs, you know, between that 10 and 12% every time. Mm-hmm. Um, it uses natural gas and really low heat too. It's actually, um, hovering right around, um, 98 degrees. So it's, mm. it's not hot. It's just warm. It just sucks the, the moisture right out, which is great because if the hotter it gets, we're also losing cannabinoid profile. So 140 degrees Celsius, we're starting to deteriorate our cannabinoids. 120, you're starting to hurt terpenes. So we're trying to preserve everything we got. And that's why we keep it at that lower temperature and, and run it through. Um, for us, our stages, because we don't have the stocks to hang it on, we need to, to package it. So before extraction, um, depending on how fast extraction happens, um, we could send some direct and then sometimes we, we vacuum seal it just to make sure that it doesn't have any mold or mildew opportunities or any foreign species to get into it, mm-hmm. whether that be bugs or another material, dust, hay, anything else that may be in the, in the area that may be running around rodents or any of their fecal matter that they like to leave behind. Whereas the other method, they typically uh, are putting them into these giant super sacks. They're just white, giant white bags that you can pick up with a forklift. Got it. So now... You've got this dried biomass that hopefully we've preserved most of the compounds that are beneficial to us, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're using these more advanced methods and we decide that we now want to make our CBD product. Can we just go from this to CBD? What happens in this process? Yeah. So this is where a lot of farmers kind of are thinking, this is like corn. I cut the corn down. I got it. It's ready to go. I take it to the grain mill, they buy it, and then they sell it to either other farmers or if it's, you know, human corn, they cut the, the, the husks off and they, they send it out and then it goes into corn production for canned corn or anything else. So this is kind of where it got a little tricky because uh, there's, a, there's a middle stage that everyone's overlooking and that's the processing. So we actually have to remove our compounds from the biomass. So the biomass is leaves, combination of cellulose and everything else. And mm-hmm. extraction's tricky. Um, not only is it expensive, but it's very technical. Um, yeah. The equipment... Uh, currently today's market price for equipment, you're, you're looking at about $1.5 million uh, extraction lab just to, to pull cannabinoids out of a plant. Wow. Uh, a couple years ago, that was like a six, $7 million investment mm-hmm. um, just because the technology is new and the quality of material output wasn't as good. Uh, it took a whole lot more to work and just wasn't quite as high quality output. So we're seeing that that side of the industry evolve rapidly as well. And a lot of that uh, side of the industry came from, you know, vanilla extracts and even some essential oils. And so we kind of hybrided a couple different industries to create some of the technology that we're using in the cannabis market. That's really interesting. So did you spend almost $2 million on a piece of equipment? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, sir. Oh my goodness. I need to borrow some money. I've got a Lego <laughs> set that I got to get. It's the Taj Mahal. It's awesome. I'll get you in touch with a couple guys I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the extraction process, so you have to have this specialty equipment and then you probably have to know a lot about the whole process. So can you walk me through the process to turn the biomass into the actual CBD product, the idea of like what's the difference between hemp oil and CBD and how, and what are we going to do to get the cannabinoids and the terpenes and all of this stuff that have all the pharmacological effect in the body? So let's look at caffeine. Caffeine is a great example. So CBD is the equivalence of caffeine, whereas coffee is the equivalence of hemp. That's a good analogy. I use oranges and orange juice uh, and uh, vitamin C, but that's totally cool. That's a good analogy. Great. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the extraction process is a little more complicated for caffeine than orange juice. That's why I went that direction. Oh, I get it. It's more complicated. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So from the time we take biomass, we already have a relatively shredded up product. Um, it looks like just a bunch of plant material in there. You know, some leaves, you see some full leaves, you got the colas and the buds. And essentially what we're going to do then is take it and we're going to grind it. Um, and we're going to grind it down to about a, a quarter inch um, material. Anything smaller than that's not going to be the best. Mm -hmm. um, the idea behind this is because we're trying to get as much surface area as possible. Um, now, if you're using supercritical CO2 and some other extraction methods like butane, this may not be a necessary step for them. However, they do have to break it up some to get it inside of the tubes. And there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter just like whether we're going to do an ethanol extraction or we're going to do a butane extraction or we're going to do a CO2 extraction. Well, which one's better? Well, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, um, the biggest arguments are between ethanol and supercritical or subcritical CO2. Two different methods, by the way. Sub mm -hmm. and supercritical are different. Yep. Um, but they both use CO2. The big thing at the end of the day is they both use ethanol at some point. So mm -hmm. the extraction is the where in ethanol extraction, we would take the biomass, we'd add ethanol into it. And the reason we, we choose ethanol over anything else is one, it's an FDA approved extraction method for multiple things. Like if you eat Rice Krispies, that was made with ethanol. Um, right. There's lots of other, other examples out there. Look at how some of your foods are made. You'll be surprised. A lot of stuff is. Not only do we drink it, um, so we also can remove 100% of it, which is great. In the solvent recovery test, we can actually look at that. And trust me, we want to remove 100% of it because ethanol is expensive. Um, and we actually recover it and can reuse it. Um, oh, look at that. Didn't know that. And I mean, the idea of using butane and hexane in our products and perhaps not recovering uh, all of it or not uh, you know, removing all of it, that could be a pretty decent sized problem for most people, correct? That could. Yeah. I mean, technology is getting better. Again, it comes down to who you're working with. Um, mm -hmm. Supercritical CO2. So that's the extraction profit. Yeah, it doesn't use ethanol in that phase. But to dewinterize and uh, de-wax uh, that plant to remove all the lipids and waxes. We do it all in the, in our centrifuge. We have an ethanol centrifuge is what we use and we use cryoethanol. So it's negative 40 degrees. And the reason we do that is because we remove a lot of the chlorophyll. Um, but then we also remove all of the plants, fats and waxes, uh, all in one step. Whereas mm -hmm. the supercritical, they have the, then add ethanol to the material and then freeze it down to negative 40 and then remove the ethanol. So they just have an extra step than that we do essentially in their extraction process. Um, most large companies have realized that this is not a viable option for large scale extraction technique mm -hmm. and have turned away from it. There's a company in Canada that actually purchased a $4.5 million supercritical CO2 setup. I uh, got the entire facility built out ready to roll. And then they tore it out and put an ethanol extraction in before they even hit the go button on it. Cause they reran the numbers and realized that they couldn't make money using the supercritical wow. CO2. So it was wow. a waste of $4.5 million. <laughs> I wish I had that kind of money to waste. Are you kidding me? So are there companies using these less favorable methods like harsh solvents, hexane, butane currently in the marketplace? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, it's more in your craft side, smaller scale um, it, because it's not as efficient. It actually does a really good job. Um, it, it actually has a really good end product. And the main reason is because you don't have to worry about the chlorophylls. There's not a lot of post-processing steps to it. Um, yeah. it. It's kind of a, it's a really good small scale method for someone who's trying to do it. Uh, it's still expensive. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're going to spend at least a half million dollars and you're going to have a higher cost per kilogram output. Um, so it's not like it saves you a whole bunch of money. Um, even on a small scale, you're better off just doing a small scale ethanol extraction, mm -hmm. but some of the craft, um, cannabis market, not really the hemp world, but the, the actual THC side, they do use this method and they do it because it's more of an artisan method, kind of like a craft brew or a craft beer. And they do get a, a very high quality product as long as it's done correctly. And the reason right. they can get such a high quality is because they're running small batches. They're, they're using like a private reserve kind of method, uh, as, as their marketing techniques. And, um, that's how they're able to, to keep in business. Whereas, you know, some of these other companies are looking for the volume, which is what we're looking for in the hemp industry. Yeah. So we've now extracted out our stuff. We have separated out our biomass from some sort of liquid, I would imagine, right? It's a liquid end product. 
Yeah. So it comes out as a relatively thick oil, um, kind of mm-hmm. like motor oil is what it looks like actually. Oh, okay. uh, CO2 sometimes it's got some bubbles and some other things. Um, some guys will argue that if you hold it up to light in a really thin beaker, it's like a, an orange, but if you hold it up your motor oil, it'll look the same. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what it kind of comes out as. So that's, that's really the extraction method. The, the rest of the methods that we're about to talk about are, are the remediation. But in ethanol, before we actually get our product out, we actually do what's called a falling film evaporator. And what we're doing is uh, we're removing all of our ethanol back because we want to recover it and reuse it. Um, mm-hmm. we, we actually have about a 3% loss on ethanol. Um, hmm. due to evaporation and other things, uh, the, the sack being open to remove the remaining byproduct plant material, which is pretty much just cell- cellulose and chlorophyll and some, some lipids and waxes that's left in the, uh, the material. And then after that, this remediation. So tell me what remediation means and like what goes, what goes through the process. Yeah, so this is where we really get into like distillation. Um, so that's kind of like your next big phase. So we're talking about taking that crude oil, removing any other impurities from it. And crude oil is typically between 60 and 70% pure um, mm-hmm. with, with CBD. Typically, we see a lot of our, our higher quality oils with CBD in mind um, between that 80 and 90. I actually don't even pay attention to that. I focus strictly on total cannabinoids, and mm-hmm. um, we're actually producing total cannabinoids at 98% in our end distillate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually really pure. So we're pretty proud of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, our CBD is only coming in around 82%. <laughs> Got it. So we have 16% minor cannabinoids coming out our other end compared to like what would other brands or products look like so people know because they're I mean, you're throwing around numbers o- yeah I'm, sorry I'm, I'm confused <laughs> so they're all over the place but most of the time we see them less than four percent on average four percent of other stuff yeah other okay. cannabinoids and sometimes you, we have you know two percent cannabinoids and 80 percent cbd and the rest is just inert or could be argued as terpenes mm-hmm. uh, but again like we kind of talked about earlier, we, we do lose some of those terpenes. So there's not a whole lot of terpene presence. I mean, we're talking about maybe two to 3% terpenes remaining, um, Mm -hmm. at the extraction point. Hmm. So you take this liquid, we now distill it down and is this now a powder or is this a, um, or a solid or is it still a liquid in this distillate phase? Yeah. So once we go through distillation phase, it actually comes out as a honey gold liquid. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes from that, that darker color to a much lighter color. Mm-hmm. Um, still liquid. It's a very thick, and honestly, the best way to describe it is it's kind of like really thick honey. Mm-hmm. It's honey of the gods. The it's honey of the gods, the nectar <laughs> of the world. Nectar of the world. So the currently, where do we get our product from? So at what point do we then turn it into our CBD products that we ingest? So this is where we get into manufacturing of CBD and. Um, so this is where we're actually taking the raw material. And this is where all my compounding pharmacists out there can kind of start to relate. Yeah. Uh, our distillate is essentially our API. And if you're in the injectable world, um, you understand, you know, reading C of A is calculated for water content and then actually producing what you're going to have because you're going to have some, some displacement factors. So, you know, you may only be 98% purity of a chemical. We're the same way with distillate and we're calculating based off CBD. So we're typically right around 80, 81% CBD with all our other miners. No one's calculating miners. Look at every bottle of hemp oil out there. Everyone's just dosing it off of CBD only. Right. Um, whereas those miners play a huge role, um, in your patient's, um, total experience of how well their product's working. So kind of looking at it from that perspective, you know, we're doing that calculation um, for that displacement factor so that we can have an end product with a CBD content of a thousand milligrams. Mm-hmm. Um, we follow all GMP manufacturing, which is plus or minus 10%. We aim for 5% plus or minus mm-hmm. um, consistently. And the other challenge is, you know, we're talking about all these percentages. How do we even get them? Because our machine, when we distill it or we make the, the, the processing or the extraction, it doesn't tell us what our cannabinoid content is. Yeah. We actually have to send it out for a test. Um, so we actually have to use a, a third-party testing agency to test our products to say, did we hit the right values? Did we hit the right numbers on each one of our, our materials? So mm-hmm. really at the distillation process, we want to get as close to you know, that 90, 98% as, as we can total cannabinoids. Um, but it's not going to kill us if it comes back at 80, 83% because we still do the displacement factor in the end when we go mm-hmm. to manufacture our product. Um, 
So if you have somebody who has lower, lower dissolute values, you know, it's not the end of the world. Just know that you're going to be spending more money per kilogram because you're not going to get as much content that you need out of the, the material. And that's where the whole CBD craze has kind of pushed everyone to focus only on CBD and push that CBD value up. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in the marketplace, our dissolute wouldn't be recognized as the quote unquote best dissolute because everyone's only focused on CBD value. The miners, right. nobody cares about. So we're talking about CBG, CBN, CBC. Uh, everyone could care less about that. Why do you think that they couldn't care less about it? And why do you care about it? Yeah, so I think there's just, a, again, that lack of education in the marketplace where we've got guys that are construction workers. We've got guys that are window tenders. We've got guys that are in the trade industry infiltrating this marketplace and creating some of these businesses to produce hemp oil. And so without them really understanding it or knowing it, they just know that they can make money. And some of these guys are just straight, straight businessmen and that's all they, they care about. They look at percent of CBD and this is what it's valued at. And if you have a CBD product and based on this percentage, this is what we're going to pay you for it. Um, and, and so that's kind of how the whole industry has been kind of viewing hemp oil and they've really just been calling it CBD. And even though it's not just CBD. So whereas I see it as, you know, we have an entourage effect in the ECS with minor cabinets and they each play a role. Um, and they each have their own special uh, function. And in the near future, we're actually going to be releasing some new isolate formulations. So when I say isolate, I'm not talking about isolate specific, but just focused on, you know, a thousand milligram tincture of CBG. Um, but then we're also going to be releasing some stable cannabinoid profiles. Um, that's kind of our, our next phase is we're going to call it an advanced cannabinoid hemp oil, um, because we're going to actually keep a consistent cannabinoid profile through our products. So we're going to be aiming for, you know, certain percentage of CBG, certain percentage of CBN, certain percentage of CBC, certain percentage of CBD in every one of our products. And that's where I think this industry is falling short. In, yeah, in the vast consistency. Majority. Yeah. So the question is, is like, how much do you actually need? So where's the data coming from that's saying that this percentage is, is a target percentage? Yeah. So th- there's a lot of research that's been done in the past. Not all it's the greatest. Um, and a lot of it's being interpreted, interpreted incorrectly. Um, where I've heard in the past where they're doing toxicity studies on a rat, guys are saying the dosing should be this because they, that's what they use on a rat. Um, yeah but they missed the whole context of the, the, the journal or the article that they were publishing um, for that. So there was like a thousand milligrams of uh, intravenously uh, injected CBD just to see if there were going to be any toxic effect, effects on the rat. And they're saying, well, if the rat can handle, you know, a thousand milligrams per kilogram, then the human should be X, Y, Z and that everyone's, you know, subtherapeutic on dosing. I will yeah. agree though, if patients aren't having a positive response to CBD, um, they probably are just being uh, subtherapeutic in their dosing. A lot of guys are still taking the one or two drop factor, whereas we know that they should probably be, you know, between 17 and 20 milligrams to start to feel an effect, depending on what you're trying to target uh, as far as what they're looking for the desired effect for. Right. Trying to choose my words carefully not to be yeah, to say making any medical claim or anything. Of course, yeah, I can make the claim all day long. You use it for anxiety, yo. Um, so anyway, the the next step of moving from the the distillate to the final product. So tell me what goes in there and how can companies screw us over in this process? Yeah, so a lot of it's just poor testing. So that there, we're starting to see less of them. But early on, you could pay a lab to produce a C of A for a product and they would put whatever you wanted on it. That's important to know. I think people need to hear that again. Say it one more time. <laughs> yeah. It was a, basically a pay to play at one point in time where you could pay a lab whatever you wanted and they'd put whatever you wanted on that C of A. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a unique factor that uh, we've seen starting to get clean up. There was like eight labs that got shut down, shut down in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing them all over the United States though, not just in Las Vegas. But uh, the industry itself is actually kind of a unique industry. You, you've got guys that kind of came from from the marijuana side and, and kind of were just pushing the envelope all, all the time. And now you've got some businessmen mixed in and then you got some pharmacists and some other educated individuals in the medical industry saying, all right, we need to do this right. We need to do this ethically. We, you know, we're, we're taking their background and putting it into this industry. And uniquely enough, because it's been so lucrative, we've had a great diversity of entrepreneurs step into this industry and really push it 
forward a lot quicker. Not saying that if it would have stayed in the marijuana industry and the kind of the OGs of the market space kind of kept it going, um, it wouldn't have done this organically. But because of it, I think it sped up that process. And, you know, no one's required to produce a C of A on their final product, right. which is interesting. But almost every CBD company does. So I'm, I'm highly encouraged uh, by that mm-hmm. as well as, you know, there's a lot of GMP manufacturers out there that are popping up all over the place um, and that are trying to do everything to the best of their ability and their highest uh, standards possible um, without any oversight or any regulation. So they're just doing this because they know it's the right thing to do. Well, I mean, it's a competitive advantage if, to be quite honest with you. There's so much garbage is, out there yeah. and it's such a gold mine that they can differentiate themselves by doing the high quality stuff, you know, by doing the right Absolutely. thing. So Absolutely. if you had to just take a stab at it, like how, what percentage of product on the market is doing everything the right way? Is it 1%, 10%, 50%, 75%? How many of the manufacturers that are out there that people can interact with, are you, do you think do it like you've described it best in class? How many people do you think are out there doing it that way? If you take everybody and look at them very, you know, under a microscope like Neil likes to, mm-hmm. I'd say it's probably less than 3%. I mean, there, there's a lot of CBD companies out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so and sometimes it's hard to, to mm-hmm. even distinguish the fact. Um, there are some companies out there that are pharmacist owned and they give the impression that they manufacture and make their own product. Mm-hmm. In reality, they manufacture their own product from another company. Right. So they, they're really just white labeling at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and it, and I, I was kind of upset to, to hear some of these companies that are also doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just pharmacists, but there's doctors like, mm-hmm. that are out there doing the exact same thing. So, you know, it's yeah, kind it's of that a, appeal to authority. You know, I, I was in a meeting today and we were talking about making a, a supplement product for somebody and they gave me examples of these industry thought leaders, doctors, respected people in the industry that do this high quality stuff that bring lots of attention to all the bad things horrible corporations are doing. And then their <laughs> supplement products are just filled with garbage. Like it's, it's literally, it's, it's everything that they're railing against in the food or whatever industry. And then their products uh, are these low standard products too. So, so you're basically saying that the, the optimal way to do CBD is the methods that you've described here. There's lots of opportunity for people to screw that up. And you believe that 97% of the time, people are screwing it up in one way or another. Yeah, whether it's just mislabeling something, um, not having the right testing protocols. Um, a lot of these guys test you know, once or twice and they, they don't test every batch. There's mm-hmm. companies out there that say they test every batch and then mm-hmm. they all of a sudden get caught with you know they get caught they get caught speeding um somebody else grabs their product off a shelf somewhere and they test it and it's not even close to what they said it was yeah um and some of it's just because these companies are getting so big so quick not that this is an excuse but they're buying other people's material to even support their own lifeline um and because of that they kind of took the risk and they should have been more diligent in testing but they didn't and they got caught with heavy metals in their product because they're buying it from the farmer down the street because it was convenient and he had it available and price was probably right. So when patients are out there trying to interact in the world with CBD companies, one of the things that they know to do is to know to look for testing, but most people don't know how to read tests. So can we just help people know what they should be looking for and know what questions they should be asking around tests? So the idea that they test for pesticides is one function, but what if they're only listing three pesticides? Well, how many pesticides are necessary? What are the common pesticides that you would see in a CBD product that you want to look for in a C of A? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, these are great questions. Um, so, I mean, heavy metal, most of the time if you see it, these, st- these tests have kind of been standardized from the ma- marijuana industry, which is great because they kind of pioneered this all for us. Cannabis is marijuana and hemp, whether people realize that or not. They're all the same thing. They only get classified when they go down the next tree, which is then when they go marijuana. And the difference between hemp and marijuana is that they have a higher THC level than 0.3. Hemp is less than 0.3. Those are the only differences between hemp and marijuana. They look mm-hmm. the same. They smell the same. They have the same strain names sometimes. They have the same phenotypes. They have the same. And the main reason is because they're bred from marijuana plants. All the wonderful strains that exist today are because of marijuana and all the hemp strains that are coming down the, the, down the chain that we're using in CBD world are coming from marijuana plants. So it's kind of a unique 
unique thing there. Um, so as far as kind of going over like what kind of things we should be testing for, for heavy metals and things like that, look for an extensive panel. If they have one, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, or they may have done what they thought they were supposed to do. I shouldn't say that they did it negligently. We see a lot of times where they think they're doing the right thing. And then, um, they realize they may have could have done it better down the road or, or someone's brought to their attention that there's a, a better way to test or even look at these things a little more closely. Um, so we've actually done some interesting things. We worked with our labs and so four heavy metals that you want to test for are definitely arsenic, cadmium, mercury, and lead. Um, mm-hmm. those are the four you want to see on there and you want to see that they all pass. <laughs> Right. That, that's the big thing. So their status typically say pass. Now it's but unfortunate. Isn't, isn't pass set by the company itself though? It depends. So to be, each company is different. And this is what's interesting because there's no governing standard yet in the hemp side of things saying that you're testing appropriately or you're not testing appropriately or using the right parameters or even validating their methods of how they're testing. We see it a lot with broad spectrum distillate out there. Um, People have a lab testing; it's non-detectable. But we've sent out some stuff uh, on our own early on, and seeing that it comes back with with uh, like basically a 0.2 percent uh, THC level, mm-hmm. and we're like, "What the heck? This is definitely not broad spectrum. This is right. a full spectrum distillate, full spectrum THC compliant is the technical term for that distillate." Because mm-hmm. um, whenever we're getting concentrates, you can have higher THC levels than the 0.3. Um, but as far as kind of looking at your analytes for pesticides, you should have a pretty good, uh, pretty good panel there. We're seeing anywhere from like 10 to 40. Um, I don't know that there's one right or wrong. Obviously more is better. Um, some of the big ones that we see though is like amine bactum B1, uh, B1B, um, benzoanditate, um, those are kind of the big ones that we see. Um, yeah. Bursitis is a big one that we're going to see as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, spinosad, perithrium. Um, those are ones that we're going to see c- consistently. Um, they, they kind of are in every, every test that we've looked at. Um, there is no, again, there's no set standard. To right. Look so it for, sounds like, unfortunately, the, the consumer has to just know that you need an extensive panel, but you really need to talk to the people that are doing it and you have to ask understand them the questions who about, is right. making it and where the material comes from. Right. Those so are the two big things. If you understand that, right. you can either feel comfortable or not comfortable. Um, I, I've talked to a lot of CBD companies um, out there just as from a pharmacy perspective, because they walk through my door and they want to sell me CBD products. Of course. So I've done some extensive knowledge with that, what's out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting to see what they're testing. And, and honestly, as soon as you start asking some of these questions, like, well, why did you only test for these three? Or why did you only test for these two? These guys don't have the answer and nor do their like CEOs or anybody in their company. Yeah. Um, just because they built it so quick and they, they pushed it out the door to just kind of get that mass market. Um, and, and we're seeing that a lot. So, yeah, well, without a doubt, I mean, that's the supplement industry, but now this, this whole thing, you know, brings to light all this, this problem. And I think pointing out to people, you know, about the farming methods and about how a lot of CBD companies aren't either getting their own raw material or they're buying raw material in the different stages from different people. And the impact of even just like the water source around really kind of sheds a lot of light on this, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. And there's Um, nothing wrong with buying it from somebody else or doing it that way. Uh, mm -hmm. Just make sure you advertise it appropriately. And you also do your homework on where it came from and make sure that where it came from doesn't change because we see that, you know, a company may run out of the material. So they just start bringing it in from somebody else. Yeah. Um, so that can flip tomorrow or the next day and all of a sudden your product was great and now it's not. So right. that's been another big issue just cause you vetted your company the first day you brought their product in the store doesn't mean it's going to be good the second day. That's the drum I beat every day about supplements. I can tell you what brands <laughs> to buy today, but it's going to change tomorrow. So you have yeah. to constantly be vetting your companies. So, we're and look for C of A's. Um, as you're looking at C of A's, look for C of A's from reputable lab companies. You'll see C of A's. Do a little Google search on that. Most of the time, these companies shouldn't be transcribing or they're not transcribing, meaning they're just copying the data over and putting it in their own format. Most mm-hmm. of the time, they're actually showing the third party's uh, testing results. 
look up the company, do a little research on, on the company. I vetted mine extensively to the point where I actually refer them to other industry entities as well as people that I do consulting for. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because of that, that, you know, we've kind of created this, this really uh, big push to this company for higher education um, to make sure that our products are, are going to be above and beyond and also stay above and beyond and that there's not going to be any faults in the methodology of how we're testing or, or anything else down that road so that we mm -hmm. can always stay on top of the, the quality game because that's important to us. All right, great. So then certificate of analysis, we're looking for pesticides, we're looking for heavy metals, mold, fungus, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Okay. Yep, and mold, then, fungus, yeast. We're also looking for solvents? Solvents, yep. But what kinds of solvents should we be looking for? Just the big ones, hexane, butane, pentane um, as well. That's one that commonly gets missed um, just because pentane is commonly used to make isolate. And a lot of the products that I've seen on the market is made with isolate. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is isolates like, so we take hemp and then we take distillate. Uh, and I'll try to make this quick, but we're then taking it and throwing it into a reactor and we're adding pentane in it and we're getting it to precipitate out the CBD um, while all the other material stays in the solution. And then we put it in a vacuum oven and, and uh, remove the pentane. Um, that's how we make isolate. Ironically, that's a longer procedure. Some guys are doing it from crude oil, um, but isolate's really cheap. Um, CBD isolate is really cheap. But the other problem is China is flooding our market with CBD isolate, synthetic CBD isolate. Right. And um, everyone knows PCCA just released uh, cannabidiol. And mm -hmm. uh, the way they're marketing it, I don't, I don't know that I feel comfortable putting it in any compounded preparations or even holding it in my pharmacy based on where the FDA is at because those are also governing entities for compounding labs. Yeah, um, that, that personally scares me that they're doing that. 100%. They're saying it's okay, but talk to your lawyers. I think they may find otherwise <laughs> yeah, um, no. from a Our risk analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, ours did too. Mm -hmm. They were like, no, not a chance. Yeah. Um, but the other side of that is their product, and I don't know why they did this, but their product is is actually synthetic. It's made in the lab. It's not natural. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of another interesting thing. And the third thing was their price point. $263 yeah. for five grams. Yeah, that's can, a lot of money. Yeah. You can buy isolate for a kilogram right now for about a grand, a thousand grams. So a dollar a gram. So right. that, that bottle should only cost you about $5. Right. They got $263 price tag slapped on it. That's pretty intense. So That's real intense. Anything else on a certificate of analysis that people should look for besides those four major things? Well, let's talk about the actual cannabinoids themselves. So yeah, people are terpenes and cannabinoids are, are, are big. Um, that's yeah. obviously what you're looking for. That's what you're, you're really trying to find out. You're, the other things are just, is the product safe? The next, is it going to work for me? Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to focus on. Got so it. full spectrum product should have more than just CBD and THC in it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we don't see that, uh, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate because a full spectrum should have minor cannabinoids and other things. Whereas a broad spectrum should be uh, non-detectable THC um, as well as the minor cannabinoids and the terpenes, what left terpenes are. Typically you'll see like beta caryophylline show up and, and that's pretty common. Um, maybe some mercy. Excellent. All right. I think, I think we've done it. I think we've gone from seed to bottle and we've talked about literally everything uh, possible with CBD. We've given everybody a real good glimpse behind the scenes of all the potential pitfalls in their products. And at the end of the day, unless a customer, a patient wants to go through all of these steps in first getting a certificate of analysis, learning how to read them, vetting that certificate of analysis, it really comes down to do you trust the person that's selling to you? And what I think Tyler and I are trying to say is that that should be very uh, slow to be given over, that trust, because as he said, about 3% of the manufacturers are probably doing everything correctly. So even if somebody's looking at you saying, I'm a pharmacist and this is a pharmacist created brand, there's still lots of questions that you need to ask. So what we'll probably do in the show notes is kind of like come up with a list of different questions that people can ask of their CBD dealer. And uh, you know, cause the dealer I think is probably the best word here. And uh, and you know, without even getting into how to use the product, but just from a quality perspective, is this product good enough for me to use? Is it safe enough for me to use? Um, is it real? Am I getting a good value? Those kinds of questions first and foremost. And then once that's been answered, then you can move to the real stuff, the real meat of the conversation. What dose do I need? You know, 
is this going to even work for me? So I think the goal here, though, I think has been accomplished. I think we had probably one of the most in-depth conversations I've heard about CBD here. Um, do you have anything like closing thoughts, closing arguments that you'd like to make to my, uh, my listeners here? Yeah. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable vetting your company, um, try to find some people, maybe even within your pharmacy or, or uh, within your organization that may know some more knowledge. Um, sometimes you'll be surprised what your other staff members may already know or may not know just because they've been more interested in the industry or it's been something that's been close to home for them because uh, it's helped a family member um, and have them help, help vet that company with you. Excellent. Tyler. Pleasure to meet you, and I'm glad that uh, we've become buds. Um, I'm going to say in my intro, which I'll say now, uh, is that uh, I know that you're the dude because you're crazier about this than I am, and that says a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's kind of been a a passion of mine, so I've kind of taken it with, you know, both hands on the reins and started steering the horse now, and it's interesting because I'm actually even helping write some of our our local state uh, legislation for hemp um, currently with some of our or board of directors. So it's kind of a unique position to be in right now. Excellent. Thanks again, man. Absolutely. Anytime. I told you it was going to be a nerdy conversation, didn't I? Tyler definitely knows the stuff when it comes to the process of making high quality CBD. And I hope it helped shed some light on your journeys for finding a good CBD brand. The bottom line is that even if somebody stands behind their product and says it's high quality, unless that person is going to these lengths to ensure that it is quality, we really don't know. So if you want to hear more about Tyler, visit PharmacyHempOil.com. Independent Pharmacy Hemp Oil is the name of the business, Craig Consulting. And that's it for us. So make sure that you check out our blog page, especially around coronavirus. But we have a page set up for CBD too, woodstockvitamins.com slash CBD. If you want to help us out, check out my drneilsmoller.com page. Go to our Instagram, drneilsmoller. Throw us a little love over there. Give us a review on our podcast because that helps us get seen by more people. And until next time, keep listening and keep learning. Be well. Be well.